0: Uh, if you got a Bible, go on and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's where we'll be here in just a second. Um, but uh how many of you watched the State of the Union Address this week? Anybody? There's about 12 of us. Okay. So here's the deal. Um I try to I try my best to stay informed of politics and to be involved as much as I possibly can. And somewhere about halfway through President Obama's uh Uh, time as president, I made a commitment. I'm just, I'm going to start watching the State of the Union address, okay? Because I just had never, never watched it a whole lot. Um, So I made that commitment. And uh, what I've noticed, no matter who the president is, is there's this thing that's supposed to be a celebration of like what's happened over the last 12 months, Right, um, we talk about these crazy, awesome stories. You have a, a husband and wife being reunited. You've got, you've got a, a, a what was it? You got a, a, a hundred-year-old man getting awarded a medal. You got all this really cool stuff going on, and and it's always supposed to be this great and unifying event, but it's simply become a spectacle of how truly divided a country can become. Right. If you had any doubts about how divided the political sphere is, just tune into the State of the Union address. Like, all doubts, like it's they literally sit on opposite sides of the room, right? I mean, I mean that's that's how it is, and um, and so it's this is it just it makes it clear that there are divisions. Um, in, our, in our political sphere, there are factions is the word that we 're going to be looking at, and as they 're sitting on a litter, two sides of the room for what it is supposed to be somewhat of a unifying event. just it just it, just, it doesn 't work. And so I think my fourth grade teacher, Miss Doris Davis, could fix the whole problem because she would do for us she would do for them what she did for us. she would have assigned seats. And she would do Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat. And that, that, would, that would squelch some of this silliness, okay? She'd put them right beside each other and they'll act a lot better. But anyway, that's how Ms. Doris would have handled it. Don't worry, today's message is not about politics, okay? Uh, if you're nervous. Um, but as discour- this, is, this is why I say all that. As discouraging as it is to see factions so clearly in our government unwilling to work together, how much more so to see those factions act that way in a church, right? And I'm not talking about Republican and Democrat here, but I'm saying what what a sad state if a church, if a local church looks more like a divided government than it does the people of God. Both of the churches, uh, because we can get there, both of the churches I've served in before coming here, I'm telling you, are awesome churches. But in both of them, I knew... That there was one group on this side of the room that wouldn't speak to a group on this side of the room. They went out opposite doors after the service. Now it wasn't like a big issue in the whole church, but there were little there were little groups that just wouldn't speak to each other. And man, just that's a problem, right? We can see that. We can see that that's a problem. And so that's some of what's going on in the church that Paul's writing to, the church at Corinth. This is some of the issue that's going on. There are factions going on inside the church. And so there's some serious rivalry. That's why we call the study rivalry. 1 Corinthians 11 is kind of where we drive that theme. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. And so Paul spends the rest of the letter of 1 Corinthians bringing up all these issues that are causing this. So we're going to look at five through this study but today we're looking at this, when factions divide. And the whole direction of this sermon changed this week. Okay, So I had it all laid out, and I started studying, and I went, huh. So bear with me, but it's going to be good, it's, I promise you. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the main passage that we're going to look at. It's just about four verses, and then I'm going to come back and pray, and then we're going to answer four big questions. The first, I'm going to give them to you on the front end. Who in the world is Apollos? What caused these factions in the church? How does Paul tell them to address it? And how does the gospel stand in stark contrast to the main issue? Okay, It's a little different organization than you're used to with my sermons, uh, which you probably haven't gotten used to anything yet because we've only been together a few, mo- a few weeks. But, um, but this is how God led me to break it down. Okay, So let's read 1 Corinthians one 10 through 10-13, and then I'll pray and come back. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. For it has been reported to me about you, my brothers and sisters, by members of Chloe's people, that there is rivalry among you. What I am saying is this. One of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or are you baptized in Paul's name? That's where Paul uh, leaves them. So let me pray, and then we'll let's talk about this. Father, we do thank you, um, God, that uh, that we don't have these issues in our church today. Um, God, I'm thankful for Lindsay Lane East, and God for the unity that you've brought over six years. Um, but God, we know Satan wants nothing more than to to destroy what you're doing here in Harvest. And so, God, I pray, um, God, for, uh, for this message, God, to be preventative care for our hearts and for our minds, God, moving forward, that you would protect us all from the evil one, God, as individuals and as a body. God, help me today to proclaim your message with passion and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So you can sense from Paul's writing that he's a little frustrated with the silliness of stuff that's going on. Um, there's some alignment behind teachers that's causing division. And so before we can look in that, at that, we've got to answer this question. Who in the world is Apollos? Because okay, he's not an author in the New Testament. He's a guy that's mentioned in a, a just several places. And so we got to know that. So last week we talked about the founding of the church. If you missed last week, all of our sermons go on our website. Go back and listen to it um, and read Acts chapter 18. That's the founding of the church at Corinth. And um, in that same chapter at the end, Paul establishes the church there. And then he takes two people with him. They were tent makers in the city that actually brought Paul in and, and, and helped let him live with them. They were named Aquila and Priscilla, okay? And so these two, the, this this couple, they were some of the earliest converts. And uh, so as Paul goes through Ephesus um, on his way, on his missionary journey, he actually leaves Priscilla and Aquila there in Ephesus, and he continues on to Jerusalem and Antioch. And so while Priscilla and Aquila, that's... Tongue tied for some reason. Priscilla and Aquila. They encounter a gifted teacher by the name of Apollos. We'll hear about him in just a second. But so he's come to, to Ephesus and he's preaching and teaching there in Ephesus. So read with me. Uh, you, you don't, it'll be on the screens. Don't turn there because we're coming back to 1 Corinthians in just a second. But Acts chapter 18, verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus, although he knew only John's baptism. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. Okay, so Paul, Apollos is obviously this gifted teacher who has come into Ephesus and he's, he's, teaching, he's teaching well. He's teaching about Jesus. Um, he's been instructed in the way of the Lord, but there are some minor issues that Paul's disciples, Aquila and Priscilla, they correct. And so from there, Apollos, at the end of the chapter, we see that he goes to Corinth, okay? So we don't know the timeline here, but we know that Paul spent how long, quiz? How long did he spend in Corinth? A year and a half. He spent a year and a half in Corinth. We talked about that last week. And so they know Paul really well. And then Paul goes on to Ephesus. And then who goes back to Corinth? Apollos. And so Apollos is now preaching and teaching and helping lead the church at Corinth. We don't know how long he stayed there, but he must have been influential because people start saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. Right? They're aligning themselves behind a particular teacher. Now I need to bring some clarity here because I used an analogy at the beginning to get the discussion starts that falls apart. Okay, um, in the, uh, the political sphere is great to kind of get this discussion started, but um, the Republicans and Democrats, uh, so the leaders of those parties, they fight for their party, right? Like they want bumper stickers, T-shirts, they want you to be a, they want you to vote straight ticket. You know, they they're, they're all about their party. They're leading, actually, some of that division. Does that make sense? That's not what's going on here. Don't think that Paul and Apollos are actually pitted against each other. They're just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus. Um, So it's not a a perfect analogy here. Um, But there's no reason to believe that any of these leaders have tried to create a following, let alone like some cult-like divisive following or divisive. Um, But Paul's argument isn't, how can some of you say that you're following Apollos? Do you not remember who planted you? You know, I'm the OG, right? That's me. I'm the guy. That's not what Paul says. That's not not the argument that he's making. Each of them, each of these teachers have clearly pointed in their teaching to Christ. So why are the people following them in such a way? Right? That becomes the question. Why in the world would a group of people who have heard good biblical teaching begin to align themselves behind a particular teacher. This is the most exciting part for me to proclaim to you because I had never studied the why. I've read 1 Corinthians. It was one that I read as a kid. I love 1 Corinthians. I don't know why. So I've read and read and read 1 Corinthians. Never have I asked the question, why did the factions happen? And so I did this week. And uh, a lot of hours later, I think I've got a good answer for you, Okay. From God's word. So what caused the factions? What caused these these divisions in the church? Now, this whole conversation about factions really runs through three chapters: chapters one, two, and three in First Corinthians. And if you read it, you'll also notice that there's a word that gets used over and over and over again in our English translation. And it's the word wisdom. Okay? And so it almost follows the exact same pattern. Factions, he talks about for chapters 1, 2, and 3. Wisdom, he talks about for chapters 1, 2, and 3. It comes up over and over and over again. Now, the word wisdom, I'm going a little nerdy on you here, but okay, is the Greek word Sophia. So if your name is Sophia, that's where it comes from, okay? Sophia. And so though Paul does use it at certain times, to like point to a good thing, a good biblical thing, he usually uses the term in a snarky way, okay? He usually uses it to talk about how we shouldn't strive for human wisdom or we shouldn't, you know, you're trying, to, you're focused on wisdom, but you should be focused on this. And so Paul is clearly having an issue with this word. And here's the reason why. The word Sophia comes from the Greek philosophers of the day. Okay, Sophia in in the Greek is not a word, a biblical word that that Paul created or Paul used selectively. It's actually something that dates from like the 400 and 300 BC when you have, uh, when you got Plato, right, Aristotle, and that other one, Socrates. Socrates. Thank you, golly. All right, so Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, all those guys. So you've got those guys, what they're talking about, they're talking about Sophia, They're talking about finding this wisdom. They're talking about discovering something, discovering a knowledge, right? And so it was common for these... um, So you've got to understand that like, when you study philosophy, you're studying like 400 B.C. through the first century A.D., right? Everything is coming to a head in the first century in regards to philosophy. Like, and I know... Now, like Twitter and internet I mean things happen quickly. It takes a long time for ideas to assimilate right in four hundred b c <laughs> so the teachings of plato didn 't spread on the internet. okay It took a while for those things to get out, and so Corinth is kind of in this melting pot where 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 uh, Paul, when he goes and proclaims the gospel there he's talking to a group of people who who were well versed in Plato, Aristotle and Socrates and even some uh, new age guys that were just coming around in the first century. And so when Paul speaks of Sophia, he clearly is saying that this is some part of the problem because it was popular during this time for the intellects, the philosophical intellects to mosey into a city with their fancy clothes and their fancy words and they would talk in such a way as to convince you to believe like them, right? Um, They wanted to show off their Sophia. They wanted to show off... I was like, what is that noise? Okay, sirens. So one of the goals of them was to use eloquent speech and just have a depth of content that would just lead you to become a follower of them. And so that was what they did. And those listening would try to connect. They wanted to find who was the teacher that they felt best exemplified Sophia, right? So you got to understand that's the culture of the Corinthians. That's what they've seen are these teachers come in and they lock into one's idea, and that's what they want to follow. And so then you got this guy named Paul who's coming in, and he's preaching what? He's not talking about Sophia. He's not talking about metaphysics and all this weird stuff out there. But what he is proclaiming is that there is a knowledge that God reveals, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with their little lenses, their little philosophic lenses, they look at that and go, ah, a new philosopher, right? I'm of Apollo, I'm of Paul, he's good. And then Apollos comes in and he's teaching in a different way. He's got different technique, he's got different content, just a little bit. He's got a different uh, um, leadership emphases and a different style, right? But the natural thing for the Corinthians to do was to align with one particular teacher as the source of Sophia, and that seems to be exactly what they did. Does that make sense now? When you look at this in light of philosophy and what was going on in the day? And so, and before you start being apologetic for him, okay? But he, it seems like Paul should have showed some grace here. It wasn't just that they were saying, I am of, I think Paul's a better teacher than Apollos. So like if, if I've got my druthers, Anybody's, anybody say that? <laughs> my grandmother always said that. If I had my druthers, I'd rather listen to Paul as I would Apollos. That's not what they're saying. What they're saying is Paul's the man and Apollos is garbage. And so it wasn't just... See, they had this preference. We all have a preference, don't we? Some of you prefer false frosted flakes. Some of you are like me and you prefer fruity pebbles, right? <laughs> because there's sugar in it, Okay. But whatever the case, you've got this... I guess there's sugar in Frosted Flakes, but not near enough. And so we all have preferences about a lot of different things. And they had preferences about teachers, about guys that were coming in. But what they, what they allowed to do was that preference to rise to the point that it became a division. See, we've all got preferences about a lot of things. And those preferences aren't an issue until you make them an issue. Does that make sense? That sounds a little... Uh, Simple, but it's not an issue till you make it an issue. And so some were choosing Paul, some were choosing Apollo, some were choosing Peter, which we don't even know if Peter ever came through the city. Maybe they just heard his teaching. And others simply said, I'm of Christ. The divisions had come down to teaching style or personality or more moving or who seemed more intelligent. This idea of Sophia had transformed simple, natural preferences into a dividing issue. So, do you think the church as a whole, we're 2,000 years removed from Sophia, do you think the church as a whole, and including Lindsay Lane East, do you think we can find ourselves in a situation like this where division can happen? If we're not careful, we can fall victim to divisive Preferences? I believe so. I believe the church at large today, probably more so than ever. I grew up in a day where I didn't know what other churches did. Like, I liked everything our church did because that's all I knew. Now you can get on YouTube and go, man, that music's a whole lot better at that church. Or, man, that preacher, he can preach circles around my preacher. <laughs> right? Or that Bible study or this and that. And it just goes on and on. It's—it's it, it's Our preferences are so much more... Um, evident now. So I could give you a lot of examples, but um, I think most of these can be thought of as spectrums. I think spectrums are so important for you to think about um, when we think about the church. And so what a spectrum is, is it's like two things that are kind of opposite or intention. And neither one of them are wrong, but all of us fall somewhere in between them, okay? So I'll give you some examples. And this is going to take a little time, but I promise you it's going to be helpful. Do you prefer topical Bible studies or do you Prefer studying straight through a book of the Bible verse by verse, right? You don't have to answer that, but that's a that's a that's a tension, right? Are either one of those wrong? Well, as long as you're studying the Bible in the topical one, yeah, and you're not just studying somebody else's philosophy, then yeah, if you're studying the Bible, that's the, both of those are good, right? Neither one of those are wrong, but when they when when those preferences become an issue. And we argue about it, then that's not good. Here's another one: Are you more drawn to reaching the lost through evangelism or training and equipping the saved well, which one Which of those has God called us to? Both right? God's called us to both Now you're going to have your preferences. Some of you guys, man, you're like, hey man, when do you quit having Bible study and when do you get out in the streets? We'll go out in the streets, right. But make sure you come in and be equipped too. And then others of you, you're like, man, if I, if I could just sit for like 10 hours a week and study the Bible with my church, that's all I would need. And then we got to kick you out in the streets and go share your faith. You know what I mean? Like there's there's preferences and we're somewhere on that spectrum. All of us, but the Bible says do both. Make disciples of all nations. And that involves reaching and teaching. But sometimes those things can become divisive when we're talking about what we're going to do as a church. So I'm sure you've grasped this, but I want to give you one more that I think is actually the most prevalent in the church today. It's just my, it's my preference, okay? It's my idea. I think on one side, our wisdom or our Sophia or what we're striving for is rooted in emotion. These people, if, if, you're, if you're an emotional person, you want to be moved when you come to church, right? Man, if it's a new song that Patrick is leading, you don't even listen through the first time, man. You just start singing right away. Right? You just love worshiping and singing. And you want the songs to be to be emotionally driven and and you want to be moved by the music. And then um when when it comes time to uh to for the preaching, um you're going to be more drawn toward emotionally driven songs, but then you're also going to be drawn towards emotionally driven preachers. They get fired up and and might jump and holler or or whatever your style of emotional is. Or they might cry or they're real real funny or whatever, you know. So if that's you, so how many of you would say that's the way I lean? I I lean emotional. There's only two options and so you hadn't raised your hand. Raise your hand. Well, if you're emotional. Okay, there's a few of y'all. All right, here's the deal. So, if you raised your hand, listen to this. you are going to have natural tendencies towards more emotionally driven songs and preachers okay um, you're going to be drawn towards a sermon that makes you feel different, like you want to be convicted or encouraged or challenged, or you know what I mean like you're always looking for that, and that's that's not a bad thing, okay? The Word of God should move us, and we should feel something when it's read and proclaimed. Worship leaders should help you connect emotionally with the song, and preachers should draw you into the text in emotional ways. So the other side of the spectrum, Leslie, are those that find their Sophia in knowledge. Okay? Knowledge. They prefer, this is a little bit funny, but they prefer a difficult-to-sing hymn by Luther, written in like the, you know, the 1500s, that's just rich in theology, but there's words that you can't even understand. Noah's pumping his fist back there. Um, and so, but <laughs> so there's but there's this idea that the, that the that the these are the people that when the new song is up, they're probably not even going to sing it the first week because they're just reading the words. You know, they're reading it and looking at what what's the depth here? What's this song saying? And and what's 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 in this song, right? Um, and they, they they want a preacher who can probably double as a seminary professor, right? That, because for them to come to church, the goal is to learn something, right? If the emotional people, if the goal is to be moved to something, the knowledge people is to be, to, to learn something. Now, which one of the, so, so so learn people, learn people? Yeah, so, some hands. All right. Um, and some of y'all are married and that's good. You can you can do something together, okay? Um, and so, again, a good service for them is not when they leave having been moved, but having learned something. And so if that's you, you're going to recognize that you'll be naturally drawn to music and preachers that scratch that itch, right? And so the same problem exists on this spectrum that exists on the other two spectrums I told you. Which is right? Yeah and say, some of y'all, mine. (laughs) But that's the point, right? Like neither one of them. In fact, what I have found is transformation most often happens when we find ourselves in the middle. When we find ourselves striving for knowledge and asking God to speak to us, but at the same time asking God to be with us and let us feel his presence, amen? That's why we pray those things and talk about those two things every week. So it's okay for you to have your preferences about music and preaching or teaching. But listen, it is not okay for you to discredit a song because it is too emotional or not emotional enough. It can't. You can't. Or to blast a preacher because he's too emotional or because he does too much teaching. You can't do that because it's a preference, right? It's a preference. Do you see the connection for us? How this Sophia, this idea of, of human wisdom, striving for something and putting, putting our preferences to a point where it becomes our, our main thing. Our preferences are not the main thing. Our preferences cannot be allowed to divide the church. we got a lot of natural preferences about a lot of things. i got an, a lot, I got a lot of opinions. <laughs> but when it comes to the body of Christ and unity... They need to stay opinions, right? And we can share about it over a cup of coffee. and We can talk about it. But at the end of the day, I got to keep it. And I got to know that, man, as long as we're within the confines of God's word, we can't get caught up in all this stuff. All right. Only two questions. We got two questions down. We can do this. That was the longest part, I promise. All right. So Paul tells the church at Corinth, how they can deal with their factions. That's the next thing. So we've looked at who is Apollos. We've looked at what was the big issue. We know now that was this idea of wisdom, this philosophic idea. Number three, how does Paul tell the church to address the factions? Look at verse 10. No, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. Now, a whole sermon in there, and we could break it down word by word and do that. Here's what I want to show you. There's two things that stand out. The first thing Paul says is agree in what you say. Or if you're taking notes, write it this way. Say the same thing. That's literally, if you (laughs) look at the Greek, that's literally what he said. You need to say the same thing. Paul says you can't have some people in the church saying Paul's not legit. Paul's not a good teacher. Apollos, he's the guy. You can't have that. You can have preferences, but you can't have people saying opposite things in the church. Listen, there has to be a common language that's used in the midst of all of our differing preferences. And so if you didn't gather from me in our first sermon series through three parts of what it looks like to be a member of this church, that I'm a stickler for official terminology I think there's a, there's a need for us to define certain things a certain way and put it on a T-shirt so that we can all know it. Okay? So there were three things that we talked about. And if, you, if you're new, you get a pass. What are the three things Lindsay Lane East people are to be about? Be at the gathering. Be in a group. Be, a, group. be, a, part be a part of the movement of God. Thank you, Brody. Those three things. And if you haven't memorized those yet, guess what? You ought to because I'm going to be asking it a whole lot over and over again. Because again, what we're trying to do is say the same thing. The things that are important to us as a church, are we want everybody to say the same thing. There are certain things that came out of that series that you're going to hear me repeat over and over again, not just those three things, but others. Greg prayed in his prayer this morning. What did he pray? Teach us to know you and be with us. Those are two things that came out of the first sermon. That's terminology that we want to put, we want want to buy into that together. Now, we're not trying to brainwash you into robotic drones. But we want to rally around certain things and be very clear about who we are as a church. And we believe that that will allow us as a church to proclaim to the world around us with a single voice what Lindsay Lane East is about. And so I believe what Paul's saying to them is the same thing he would say to us today. Say the same thing. Imagine if you showed up at Corinth this Sunday. One guy's talking about how awesome the church planner Paul was. Another's sharing his notes from the last sermon from Apollos. And another is showing you Peter's latest tweets, right? And then they start arguing about it. Who's the best? Let me ask you, what do you think that church is about in that moment? Self, Self I, I don't know, like nothing is probably what they're about. And so what what for us? Or for Corinth. like what, are the, what do they prioritize? How do you plug in to what's going on there? Apparently you argue. That's what that church is known for. And for us here at, here at this simple church in Harvest, we have to have similar terminology and communicate with people. And we have to agree in what we say. And the second thing Paul says is think the same way. So he says, say the same things and then think the same things. Look at verse 10. He says, uh, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. All right. These two words are translated understanding and conviction. They carry the same idea. Um, both of them have to do with the way that we think. The word for understanding has more to do, like, with uh, processes and intellect and all that. But then conviction is like the what we do with that knowledge, what we do with that thinking, kind of like the outcome. So if you want to think about it that way, um, understanding is processing. Conviction is the outcome of our thinking. And so I won't get down in the weeds with that anymore, but just know that both of these words have to do with thinking and believing and things like that. And so when, I remember when I played football, we had a new coach come in, and we had been on a three-year losing streak. Three years we went without winning a football game. And a new coach comes in. <laughs> they didn't have to pay him a lot. you know? <laughs> Or maybe they did. They probably had to pay him a whole lot, I guess. All right, anyway. So he comes in, and uh, when I was in 10th grade, and uh, he was the polar opposite from our previous coach, because he had one major goal his goal was to convince our team that we could win that was a hard task because we were on a 26 30 game losing streak or something and so for him that was his main goal the way he did it was by 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 presenting us with a, a new philosophy of offense and defense and even tackling he taught us to tackle different i've been tackling my whole life what do you mean tackle different but he taught us the proper way to tackle. Everything was different, and he brought in tons of little sayings and phrases that he put up all over the locker room, and we had to memorize them and repeat them back and say them during practice, and they were all about a winning attitude. Now, there were some guys that didn't jive with a coach, and they'd say, Coach, I ain't saying that, and guess what? They didn't make it on the team long, and then they went to play basketball, but they didn't want to say the goofy things and all that, but that was just like one or two guys. However... They wouldn't say the same thing, right? They wouldn't even do that. Now, there were a lot of other people who said the same thing. When coach asked them to repeat after me or do some cheer, they would say it. But what were they doing in their heart? They knew there's no way we can win. They weren't buying into the vision of the coach. They were simply saying it. They were giving lip service. Over time, that difference between what, where the coach was pushing and where they actually were it it uh, it either it either uh, corrected itself, right, and they began to believe and buy in, or they wound up separated from the rest of the team, um, who was convinced that we could win. And so I think that's what Paul's saying: that we as a church, man, we don't just say the same things; we also have to think the same things. We've got to be about the same things. It's got to get down to our heart. We as a church can say the same thing, we can wear the same t-shirts, and we can worship together on Sundays, but are we really unified around a mission and vision for our community and the world? We can only get there if we also not only say the same things, but think the same things. So it's important for us moving forward here at East to do both of those. And so you're going to hear me talk about that a lot. And we're going to be, um, Pastor Andy John is going to be taking over as senior pastor at Lindsey Lane, and he wants our campuses to be a lot more coordinated and a lot more involved than they have been in the past. And so there's going to be some terminology and things that he's passing down to me that we're going to talk about and we're going to put on T-shirts and on the wall and stuff like that. And uh, and so just be ready for it, okay? Uh, so if you hear me say something over and over again, it's because I think it's important. And I want you to say and think that same thing, okay? So take it to heart and memorize it. So three questions down, only one left. How does the gospel stand in stark contrast? To Sophia. After these comments, Paul begins to destroy the very ground on which they stood in regards to this idea of Sophia. He shows them that the gospel is actually contradictory to the wisdom that they are seeking. He starts in verse 17, okay, and runs all the way through the end of chapter 2. It's 31 verses where wisdom is referenced 21 times, and all but like five of them are in condescending, ugly terms, okay? And so like Paul is saying, wisdom is not what you should be striving for. Wisdom is not what we are about. Here's just a few highlights. Paul says, I didn't even, I preach simple messages. I didn't come in here like Plato. I came in here simple. Not with human impressive wisdom. He quotes Isaiah, that God will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Amen. (laughs) And then, He also says, your faith can't be based on human wisdom, but on God's power. And the list could go on and on and on. But one of the commentaries I used in prep uh, was written by Gordon Fee. And he's a really neat author who writes in such simple terms. And that's why I read him, because I'm not smart. And so um, he paraphrased Paul's discourse this way. And I actually got it on the screen, because I want you to be able to see it. So you think the gospel is a form of Sophia? How foolish can you get? Look at its message It's based on the story of a crucified Messiah, a crucified Savior, a crucified leader. He said, Who in the name of wisdom would have dreamed that up? Only God is so wise as to be so foolish. Furthermore, look at its recipients. You! Who in the name of wisdom would have chosen you to be the new people of God? And finally, he says, Remember my own preaching. Who in the name of wisdom would have called me to preach? My terminology there a little bit. Yet look at the results. What were the results? A new church in Corinth. You see, what we are oftentimes searching for the most is not what God intends to give us. Paul's argument is that the church at Corinth needs to concern themselves with that which God is concerned with and leave our preferences in their place. If we allow preferences to become an issue, then they cause factions and the gospel is compromised in the church. That's what I believe 1 Corinthians 1 through 3 are all about. Okay, Now, the big question, what in the world do we do with it? Question number five, Okay, bonus question. What are we supposed to do with this? Right now, maybe nothing. Okay, maybe your preferences are in check and you're buying into what God's doing and you're buying into this new chapter at Eastwell and and you're looking and saying the same things and you're excited about the future. Praise God for you. Send me an email. Um, I'm just kidding. Log this sermon away somewhere though, okay? Log this sermon away because a day is coming when Satan will attack you and Satan will cause your preferences to rise above where we should keep them. He's going to push you to make a bigger deal out of them than you should. And then you need to pull out lindsaylanese.org slash sermons and listen to this one again or pull these notes out because Satan wants us to be divided moving forward. Some of you, however, maybe God spoke to. Uh, maybe your preferences are out of whack. Um, remember, your preferences are never an issue until you make them an issue because we've all got them. If you find yourself frustrated with little things here and there that aren't to your liking, let this message challenge you. What did Paul say? Say the same thing. Think the same things. Get on board with what God's doing. Make a commitment today to buy into the future of East and watch as God starts putting your preferences back down where they belong. He's really good at that. And if you're not a member of this church, you know what we're about now moving forward. This is the kind of church we're going to try to be by God's grace. Today, you can actually come forward during the invitation and voice your intention to join this church. Um, we do two things with everyone that wants to join this body. We have a, a, a conversation that matters where we talk about salvation and baptism, um, where we talk about where you are in your walk with God. And then, uh, then we want you to be a part of our new members class, which is actually coming up in two weeks. So perfect timing, okay? So it's easy, all right? We believe church membership is important. When you say that you are with us, we want to help one another say the same thing and think the same things so that our preferences are held in check. And we'd love for you to officially join this body of believers here at East. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, listen, you're living your life according to your own Sophia, and God calls that sin. Um, God can actually change that for you, though. He can give you a new desire. He can take away your sin through the blood of Jesus Christ and actually change you. I stand before you as somebody who's been changed. If you've never called on Jesus to save you and change you, you can today. And I'd love to have an opportunity to talk with you about that. Um, we We have a last song every week that we call our invitation. And it's an opportunity for you to just dissect what God spoke to you. Respond however God may lead, whether that's coming to the altar and, and truly committing something to God today, praying where you are, praying with someone else, uh, bringing the care before the Lord. And then I'll also be down front for uh, the first part of the song just to talk with you about anything that you have. If you want to talk about joining our church or a salvation or anything like that, uh, we just want to give you space to respond. So uh, worship team, you guys come on up and I'm going to pray and uh, we'll we'll have our time of invitation. Father, we love you, God, and we know, um, God, that we've been in your midst because, God, uh, your word has been opened and proclaimed, and, God, uh, uh, we know, God, that that you're with us during those times. And so, Father, today, as your word has been proclaimed, God, I pray that it would urge us and lead us, God, to make uh, life changes, God, through your, the work of your spirit in our lives. And so, God, help us as a church, um, God, to to move forward in unity. Um, to say the same things and think the same things. And God, I pray for anybody here who uh, who's living according to their own wisdom. God, I pray that they would be drawn into a relationship with you today and they would come talk to me um, or somebody that maybe brought them um, just about uh, how they can trust in Jesus. God, we love you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray.